morning. If I haven't had a chance to, to meet you, if you're new here this morning, my name is Ryan Moore, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it's great to be with you. We will be in the book of Hebrews this morning in chapter 8, starting chapter 8 and verses 1 to 7. And if you brought a Bible, or should I say, if you, if you, do, if you don't have one with you, and you are, you're committing to not turning on your electronic device, go ahead and grab the blue pew Bible and uh, page 1005, 1005. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word, beginning in verse 1 to verse 7. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are already priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is... Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Let me pray for us and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time to be together, and we pray uh, now that as the word goes out, that you would do a miracle in our lives, and by a miracle that you would change and soften hardened hearts. Um, we pray that you would do that in a way that would bring glory to your name only. We ask this in your Son's name, Amen. This week we had um, a regular situation that happens uh, on Thursdays when we take our girls to uh, gymnastic, and on Thursday. I'll go ahead and say her name, Virginia. It was Virginia's turn to go to gymnastics. And one of the things that our girls like to do when they go to gymnastics is they like to get their own quarter, which they save, which is a great, great thing, and bring it with them so that after gymnastics, they can then put that quarter in the gumball machine and watch that thing go all the way down and get a gumball. It's the only reason I'm I'm sure that they're going to gymnastics at this point. (laughs) But this particular Thursday, we're running a little behind, which is kind of normal. And so there's just that, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. If we're going to make it, we're going to make it, we got to go. We get everybody outside. Get Virginia in the car. Climbs over the back seat. She's got to get herself buckled. That takes a few minutes. And as soon as we're about to put the car in drive, there's just this, just this shout. We'll just put it that way. From the background, or from the back seat. I don't have my quarter. Where's my quarter? I've got to get my quarter. And in... I thought it would be fun just to say, of course, you know, this was a very polite exchange of words. And there was a lot of, um, oh, mommy, do you have a quarter that I could borrow, perhaps? None of that. There was the, the ripping off of the seatbelt, the diving over the back seat in order to get out of the car before the door shut, to go into the house, to get the quarter so that she could have full knowledge 
that she would be able to get her, her gumball after gymnastics. And we're trying to tell her in the midst of all this, I mean, just, <clears throat> you know, how it can be overwhelming. Just, whoa, 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 we, we have quarters for you. Mommy's saying she's got quarters. We, we've got three or five. I've got one right here, you know. And, and so we're showing them, showing her the extra quarters and she's not stopping. Our quarters don't work. Our quarters don't matter. Like they, they, they are fake quarters and we're just, you know, and she is set on not trusting what mommy and daddy are showing her and set on going and getting her own quarter. Why does Virginia demand that she go back inside to get this? Why does she demand, uh, you know, to take control of the situation in this way when her mom and dad are saying, look, I've got plenty of quarters for you. And not only do I have plenty of quarters, this deal actually works out better for you because you can save the quarter that is in your room right now for another day, for another gumball. But that seems like this is a better deal for you. But as it stood, she can't see that. Why is it so hard to trust in something better? This is not only Virginia, right? Um, this is the audience in Hebrews that we've been talking about this entire time. This is us as well, right? Specifically for the audience in Hebrews, they came to faith and then in the midst of circumstances and persecution, they have begun to question that faith and are having trouble trusting in something better, something true, that Jesus is, in fact, the high priest that they have been waiting for, that he is, in fact, uh, the, the mediator of this beautiful new covenant that he has made, which, in fact, is the real one. But it is also true for, for who you and I are here today, specifically as we think about the area of trusting in something better, even when our circumstances tell us a different story. Our hearts have a default, as it were, and that they return to places of comfort and control and ease when circumstances change and become threatening even, even resulting in cynicism towards better. How many of you specifically uh, <clears throat> have moved here because uh, you were forced to find a new job? And in the midst of that moving, somebody told you, oh, look, what's happening out there, what you're going to find out there is going to be better. And you're like, sure, that's easy for you to say. All right? How many of you um, didn't get into the school or the college of your choice? You had to go somewhere else. But somebody also was able to say to you, don't worry, it's going to be better than you think. And you thought, yeah, thanks. Right? That cynicism that grows or the worst, right? You broke up with somebody, your heart's in pieces, and your mom or your dad or your best friend looks at you and says, if it's not this person, it's going to be someone better, right? You want them to go play in the traffic. Why is it so hard? <laughs> Why is it so hard for us to trust in something better? Why can't we just listen and trust and know that those who love and care about us the most, our parents for Virginia, but certainly Jesus for his church, has a message of something better for us, regardless of what our circumstances are telling us. Why is it so hard? Why is that hard for us? <clears throat> and what can change that? In this text we just read, and all throughout the book of Hebrews, God is offering us something better, and it's called the New Covenant. Yet like the audience of the Hebrews, our hearts default away from better. This is what we, this is what we do. 
And what we'll see is that unless God acts on our behalf, unless he does something to our hearts, we will never trust that what he has for us in Jesus, this new covenant, is truly better than anything that we could hope for. And so this morning, I want us to see the three things that are printed there in your bulletin. I want us to see the problem with better. I want us to see briefly why this new covenant is better. And then why we need this new covenant that the author is speaking of. So the problem with better, that first one there. The problem with better today is that we are often skeptical of better. Like better is a marketing tool for us. Right? When you hear somebody say, this is a better TV, or this is a better car, or this is a better item on the menu, you, I don't know about you, but me, I get skeptical of that because somebody is what? Trying to sell me something. And, but more than that, you and I have often experienced bringing home better or trying better at the, at the restaurant only to find that that wasn't better. And so there's this cynicism that begins to breed in us about the word better in our culture that when our ears hear the word better, which is used often in this book, by the way, and especially in this text, we have to recognize that the way that we think about better is not necessarily how the author is thinking about better. In fact, the way that the author is thinking about better and the way that I want you and I to think about better this morning is that to think about it in terms of what's true, of what's real. The real thing. Because isn't that what we really want when somebody says better? Right? We want the TV that's really going to do what it's supposed to do. We want the meal that's really going to satisfy the palate. Well, here's the covenant that really satisfies our problems. But let me illustrate this idea of better for us. Baseball season is upon us. For many of us, that is exciting. Um, Chances are, if you grew up in America, you found yourself at some point in your life in either your backyard or some neighbor's backyard or front yard playing baseball. But you, you know, we don't call it baseball. We call it wiffle ball because with wiffle ball, you don't break out people's windows or dent cars. Okay. But the beauty of wiffle ball is this. While it started out mirroring real baseball, it actually digressed into some poor copy of baseball uh, before it was all over, okay? You might be starting out with this bat and ball, right? You might actually have four bases, but before the, before the summer is, is over, the bat along with the ball is way more duct tape than it is anything else, right? Bases have been moved and even removed where now there are no more bases. You just have to go run down to that tree and back, okay? Now, if you hit over into the Arnold's yard, that's an immediate out. But if you hit the Smith's yard and miss the garden, that is an immediate home run, Okay, so these are the rules of baseball. But the best part about wiffle ball, baseball, are the outs. See, it's still an out if somebody pops it up and you catch it. But in wiffle ball, right, you get to peg somebody if they're running between bases. That's the best part about wiffle ball. It's glorious. Now, chances are, if you played this, if you played wiffle ball growing up, you were only playing this because you had seen the real baseball somewhere. Maybe you saw it on TV. Maybe you saw it in real life at the ballpark. By the age of six for me, Wrigley Field in Chicago was a reality. It existed. It was beautiful. It was glorious. Maybe that is Globe Life Park for you and the Rangers today. But what the author is telling us by using the word better in this text is he is saying that in one sense, that the way that the new covenant is better is the same way that baseball at Wrigley is better Compared to what is going on in your backyard. 
It is the real thing. That's what he means when he says the new covenant. It is finally the real thing. It is what all things have been pointing to. The copies that you have seen in the Old Testament. This is what they were waiting, what they were pointing for. This is what they were about. And now the real thing is here. And that's the point as the author begins here in verse 1. It is better or the real thing because we have Jesus as our mediator, as our high priest. Because he does what a true mediator is supposed to do. He brings sinners to God. He offers true forgiveness. He connects you to God. The way the Bible talks about this finally happening for good is the phrase new covenant. It's better because unlike all of those other old covenants that were mere copies or patterns, this new one is a long-awaited, finally happening for good covenant or promise. So what does the author want his audience to do? He wants the audience to put down the plastic ball and the bat, the copies, as it were, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the practices of the old law, and to be a part of the real thing in Jesus Christ. And isn't that, by way of illustration, a much more beautiful and believable thing, the thing that we were all wanting, that we were all wanting in the first place? He wants them to trust that this covenant really is better. That it's real and that it's enough. But as you and I know that this morning, that isn't easy. On a beautiful sunny afternoon with no humidity at Globe Life Park, where the high of the day is maybe 74, it is easy to trust that the ballpark, as it were, is better. It is. But I got fired today. My, my son or daughter was diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. I did not get into the school or college of my choice. Right, as the clouds roll in here, that's better? How is this better? How am I supposed to reconcile these two things? How am I supposed to trust that this Jesus is better when this is my life right now going on around me? Why is this even happening in the first place? These are the questions that we have. And that's where our audience is. And that's where many of of us find ourselves this morning. And here's what Jesus has to say to us. Here's what his new covenant is about. I am not here to sell you anything. I'm not here to sell you anything. What better really is, is me trying to call you into a relationship with you. That's what I'm here for. That's what this new covenant is about. I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm trying to call you into relationship with me. And while that's better, there are no promises that you being in a relationship with me means that suffering is somehow going to go away. In fact, the opposite is usually true. For those that would pick up the cross and follow me, that is the sentence that we are given. And maybe for many of us this morning, the real problem with better is just that. That often it does come with more suffering. So how does Jesus and his new covenant reconcile this? And why would I even want to consider this new covenant? Why would it even be better in the first place? And this gets to our second point, why this covenant is better. So we've seen the problem with better, but now let's look at why this is better, why this is the real thing. And this is most of what this section is about, why this covenant is better. It seems that the author is laboring to point out all these reasons why this covenant is the real thing. And the first thing that the author points out in our text is location. More specifically, the covenant is better because of the location of the priest. 
because of the, the location of Jesus. And where is Jesus? Jesus, our high priest, according to the text, is in heaven. He's not here. He's in heaven. He is, verses 1 or two, verses one and 2 say, He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places. That is, he governs and he intercedes in a physical body from the right hand of God the Father, not from here on earth. The tent or tabernacle in the Old Testament is often referred to as the place where heaven and earth literally met. The Holy of Holies. We talked about this with the high priest on the Day of Atonement would go into that room and literally meet with God. That tent that, that, that the author is referring to, his audience would recognize that this was the place where heaven and humanity met. But that location has changed. In the person of Jesus, who is now located where? In headquarters itself, so to speak. If you were wanting to go to Disney World and, you were, and your desire was to meet Walt himself, if you could, by the way, I, I recognize that he has passed and gone. But if you wanted to meet him, would you rather know a friend who has a friend who has a friend who lives in New York, who lived in the same city as Walt at one point in time and might be able to get in contact with him to meet you at the park? Would you rather go that route or would you rather have a, a connection, so to speak, with somebody on the board of directors of Disney? And not just the board, but the chairman himself. Like That would be better, right? That is what we mean by location. That is what we have with this high priest. Think about this. Jesus hears your prayers. He intercedes for you. He pleads for you. These are all, this is all review, by the way, right? He sustains all things. He governs your life. He understands your hurts and your joys. He empathizes with your injustice. He cares about the things that bother you, control you, and weigh you down. He understands your dreams and your nightmares all in the presence of the Father. There is no better location for a high priest who is working day in and day out for you than at the right hand of the Father. The location of our high priest is why this covenant is so much better. We are no longer connecting between tin cans and a string, if you will. We have something far more certain connecting us, and that is the blood of Jesus. That is the author's point. This is the first thing the author points out as to why the covenant is better. Second, the author says that this is better because it points to the builder of this new covenant or the vocation, if you will. That is, it's better because this tent isn't built by man. It is built by God himself. In verses 3 to 5, the author appeals to Moses and his instructions to erect the tabernacle or meeting place of God. God said, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. What pattern is God referring to when he says this to Moses? What was Moses looking at on that mountain? He was getting a glimpse of something that nobody else there glimpsed. They're they're see into. He was getting a glimpse of the throne room itself, of the tent or tabernacle, as it were. And God is simply asking him to look at that, the real heavenly realm, and make a, a, a copy of it here for my people. So what Moses was really building on earth was a shadow, as the author says, of the real things to come. 
What was built by human hands in these former days, as this author has said, is now complete by the works of God in Jesus Christ. But what does this mean? What does this mean? It means that God did something that we couldn't do. And it actually goes further, to go further than that, God did something that we never could do for ourselves in the first place. Verses 6 to 7 summarizes this for us, saying, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it, enacted on, since it was enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion to look for a second. When the author writes better promises, and this might be a question for you, he doesn't mean that God went to plan B because all of a sudden plan A didn't work out. What the author means when he says that is by better promises, he's referring to the limitations of the old promises in the old covenant versus the finality of the promises of the new. They are better. In the same way, they, in the same way that, that, that if you were to say, I promise we'll go to the World Series and run the bases, that is a better promise than I promise we'll go to Walmart and look for a new glove. Both promises, <laughs> but... <laughs> One is more full, we'll just put it that way, than the other. One is more final. It is getting to what it is that we want to, where we want to arrive. Maybe its destination, its telos is, is, is more final. would be a better way to put it. Look, there's nothing we put our hands on in this world. And this is what this, is, what this means for us. To say that this final tent has been made by God. There's nothing we put our hands on in this world that doesn't come with limitations. And this is hard for us to, to swallow. This is part of our fallenness, that we are limited, we are finite. Right? There, there is nothing that doesn't come with failed expectations. Like Thanksgiving, being around the table at Thanksgiving is never going to be perfect for you, this side of heaven. There is nothing that doesn't come with brokenness. There's nothing we do that we don't mess up. And that's not to say that there aren't wonderful things that we can accomplish too. But what we need to see is that God knows about these things, which is why the plan all along was for him to build something for us that we cannot build on our own, something that is eternal, something that will last forever, something that he can hang eternity on. And this was the point And why is this promise better? Because there is nothing holding it back. The author is simply saying, look, the beauty of God making this temple intent is that we as humans actually get to back up and remove our hands from it and enjoy the fruit of it, the promises of it, of its eternal and everlasting uh, components, its kingdom, if you will, that we will be a part of because of this high priest. And all this because God has acted and has finished the job in Jesus. God has built this final temple, not man. That's the second one. And the third one, the third reason why this covenant is better is the nature of the gift and the sacrifice, the author points out. It is the gifts and sacrifices offered by the priest that seals the promises of forgiveness for the people. This is something we have seen. If the high priest of the old covenant had to bring gifts and offerings, so would Jesus. But what would they be? 
What would they be? And here the author labors with his audience. And you have to kind of dig in here a little bit to consider this in verses three to four. But basically he says, he says that every priest, as we have seen, must offer gifts and sacrifices. He talked about this at the beginning of chapter five. And the same is true for the priesthood of Jesus. But if Jesus were on earth, not at the right hand, we wouldn't have a need for him since he would already have priests offering those types of gifts and sacrifices. In other words, if this new covenant is actually going to be better, it's going to have to be the real thing. In other words, then that gift and that sacrifice is going to have to be incredible. It's going to have to be a true one of a kind gift and sacrifice. And what is the gift offering of this high priest? It is himself. It is himself. And the author won't disclose this until chapter 9, but it's already obvious to us. It's already obvious. What Jesus does is he offers himself compared to the goat or bull or any other blood offering. And wouldn't that have to be better? Hebrews 9.13, to jump ahead. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's where this is going. Why is this covenant better? Because the gift sacrifice is better. It is more true. It offers true liberation from sin. It works. And why this real thing is better, as we summarize these three points in in this second point, is Location, vocation, liberation. If you want to memorize it that way. Another way to put this is it's seeing Jesus where he is, what he's done for you, and what his cross has won you. Okay, this sounds great. Sounds wonderful, but that doesn't necessarily make it any easier for me to trust in this Jesus and this better covenant. Why do we need it? I don't want to take that last point. I want to funnel it here into this last third point. For our, our conclusion, we need this new covenant for the same reason that it's so hard for us to believe in something better. And that is, we will never get away from our default setting to trust in other things, ourselves primarily. Unless he, unless God replaces our hearts with new ones. And that's what the new covenant is about. That is what Jesus promises to do. And that is why we need it more than anything else. It is the promise of God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear Jesus, no matter what is going on around you. The days are coming, declares Jeremiah, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel. This is Jeremiah 31 that we'll look at next week. But what did that mean? And I want to go to another new covenant text, my favorite, to talk about that because I don't want to talk about Jeremiah 31 because that's what Darwin's going to talk about next week. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle, listen to this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I'll put it within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What does this mean? It means that God is giving us the ability in this new covenant to see the person and the work of Jesus. And that is what is going to allow us the ability to trust in difficult circumstances. What is coming according to this text? What's coming is the days when God gives his people a new heart and a new spirit. Not so that we can become people who then take it from there. Not so that we can become people who get to the point where we are trusting and believing perfectly. Right? Isn't that where a lot of our guilt comes from most of the time? Man, <clears throat> something bad happened at work today. I yelled at my kid. I'm a terrible person. God must be angry at me. Where is my faith? Where is my trust? Isn't the idea of being a Christian so that we get to the point where we are believing perfectly and the answer is no. The new covenant is not about you believing perfectly. It's about giving you eyes and ears to hear and to see the person who has believed perfectly, so to speak. The person who has done the things that you and I won't be able to do. So that you could glance upon his beauties and his wonders and know that whatever is going on around me. This is better. This is more real than anything else that could possibly come into my life. That is the new covenant. That is the true anchor of our soul, friends. See, God wasn't just in the business of fixing and replacing priests and temples and offerings with real ones in heaven someday. What he's really been after is fixing you and fixing me by replacing what's really broken. We don't need new canvas on the tent. We need what the tent represents. It's our heart. It's our meeting place with God. You need one. I need one. And what this promise tells you is that it's finally happening for good. <clears throat> Why? Why is it finally happening to good, for good? So that you can love people? Absolutely. Is it finally happening to good so that you can have a productive ministry in your life? Absolutely. So that you can be a good student somewhere? Yes. A good friend, a good spouse? Yes. All these things and many more. Perhaps a good topic for small groups tonight. All these things and more. But perhaps for today, let me leave you with this. God actually cares about your joy. That he is in the business of giving us new hearts so that you might put down your old way of thinking and living. That you would stop thinking that the wiffle ball and all that that was is all that there is. And begin seeing your life shaped and controlled by the real thing, by Jesus and his kingdom. What those things were pointing to all along. C.S. Lewis talks about the old way of thinking in terms of desires. He says this. He says it would seem, perhaps a familiar quotation for you. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition. with infinite, when, When infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What Jesus comes to give us this morning in his new covenant, friends, is the ability to see the sea. Even in the midst 
of difficult circumstances, but not just to see it, but to one day and to actually now experience it. Even in the midst of tough circumstances and the way that you see it and the way that you experience his joy is only by one thing. It's by seeing him. It's by seeing what he has done for you. And it's by seeing what his cross has won for you. That is the new covenant. And this is a work, as Ezekiel Ezekiel prophesied, that he is doing for us if we would ask. If we would ask for him to do this. We need this new covenant because we need a new spirit. We need eyes to see and ears to hear the one who is truly faithful, our great high priest, Jesus no matter what is going on around us. So to close, I'll ask you this question, maybe a point of application. What are you praying for? If you are a Christian today, what is it that you are praying for this morning? What have you been praying for this week? God, make it easier. God, will you just fix this one thing? God, if you just get this one area correct or get this out of my life or change this or forgive me here, I will serve you for the rest of my life. What is it? What have you been praying for this week? Let me, let me leave you with this thought. What if that prayer changed to something new? What if we began asking God in the midst of life's good times and bad to change our hearts, to change how we see So that we might see Jesus, regardless of what is going on around us. Perhaps then we'd find it easier to trust in something better. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. And we thank you for your new covenant that is given to us and sealed for us. And anchored for us in the blood of Jesus Christ. That it truly is something better because it is the real thing. And I pray that we would become people. That you would change us in a way that we would become people who would not get tired looking upon Jesus in the midst of our life circumstances. And that we wouldn't be people who would get tired asking for you to show us Jesus in the midst of those life circumstances as well. That we would see that what he has done for us and what his cross has won for us as well truly is better than anything else that our lives could be a a part of. Would you continue to do that work that you promised to do of giving us new hearts and giving us a new spirit as we follow you wherever life leads? We ask this in your son's name. Amen.